Hello again, friends and leaders. Welcome back to What Leaders Want. I'm your host, Jay Delling, and it's here that we peel back the proverbial onion on how leadership makes the world go around. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders of people. And today, my guest is a national expert in leadership. I can't wait to have this discussion. Say hi to Dr. Nate Regeer, founder of Next Element, located in Newton, Kansas. Dr. Regeer is a keynote speaker, author, and innovator in the area of leadership. Dr. Regeer, thanks for stopping by to talk about the impact leadership has in our world. Welcome. Thank you. It is great to be here, Jay, and wonderful to be with our listeners. So, Doctor, there's so much about your story that that intrigues and interests me. I talk about influencers all the time. I love to have this this conversation because I believe that that influencing is a, a major component of leadership. And with you, doesn't it really start with your parents who were missionary leaders and actually brought tribal leaders together in Africa? Talk about how your parents became an early influencer for you. Oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. You know, I, I don't know if it's a function of getting older, a function of losing my father a while back or or just starting to think more about legacy. But I have been reflecting a lot on the impact of my parents in my life. And now, they were missionaries with the Mennonite Church, and here in Newton, Kansas, where I'm from, and there's a lot of Mennonite uh, activity around here. This is where I'm from originally, but, you know, the the Mennonite faith is really focused a lot on pacifism, nonviolence, living by example, and kind of just an ethic of, of, how, of being good stewards of resources in the world. And so my parents were role models of that. And so growing up in overseas and in some places where there was a lot of conflict, I got to see how my parents would negotiate that, how they would deal with that. And not only trying to, you know, lead other missionaries, lead, lead in their community, but also lead me as a child and how they wanted to raise me. Uh, so I, I think there were a lot of seeds planted that I didn't appreciate at the time. And they've continued to sprout throughout my life. Isn't that interesting how over the course of our life, certain things will all of a sudden resonate with us as we, you know, continue to evolve, continue to uh, mature in our life. And so, as as you talked about the the reflected nature of 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 you with your parents, it just it just shows that uh, um, you can teach old dogs new tricks, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you've been a respected uh, leadership expert and consultant for for some time now. You've seen all forms of leadership strategies, good, bad, and indifferent. Where are some gaps that you see in how corporate America executes leadership in in today's business environment? Oh, man, that's a great question. And we are at such a tipping point. We are at a crucible moment in our world, in our country right now regarding this question. And I, and I think the pandemic revealed some things that were happening already, and we just were, it was just really made uh, uh, visible to us. I think there, when it comes to leadership, there is a big seismic shift right now from leadership that viewed more of a command and control authoritarian type of, of, you know, I clawed myself up to the ranks. I have all this expertise. I have all this power and authority. You should be glad to have a job and a paycheck. So just do what you're told. 
that kind of mentality, it seems so kind of archaic now, but we see lots of it still, vestiges of it. And we're seeing a transition to a new kind of leadership that says, I don't want a boss. I want a mentor. I don't, I'm not here for the paycheck. I'm here to belong and be part of something bigger than myself. Um, I want you to guide and coach and mentor me and develop me into somebody. Um, I, I think of this idea of employees want to maximize and be maximized. They want to believe that they are part of something bigger and really making a difference and that their uniqueness is being brought to bear on that. And that requires a really different approach to, to leadership than what we used to do. You know, so there's really a big gap there. Yeah, there is, there is a big gap. And what I what I hear you talking about, it, and it's something that that we can't spend enough time on what we've learned in the pandemic, and, and, and that is having the kind of culture that wants to keep those those good, uh, you, you know, additions to, to our corporate yeah. world, right? You talked about yeah. that, that status leader who uh, pays more attention to what's on his business card or, or, you know, his name on the door versus a servant leader who gets in the, the masses and, and, and is, you know, arm in arm right there with you. So what you're really talking about is this idea of having a, a great culture. It is. And culture culture is everything and it's always been important it's just that we're starting to realize that if you want to change outcomes you have to change culture and there is a culture of leadership there's a culture of 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 an organization and i think if that culture doesn't have the right foundational values the right principles the right practices it will mold anybody into its into its nature good or bad so yes we have to pay attention to that and I want to comment on something else you said, which was, we want to keep good people. Um, you know, the number one thing on the minds of top leaders now is attracting and retaining great talent. Mm -hmm. And another seismic shift is that we have to start treating employees like customers instead of like, well, you're hired, you're getting a paycheck. So, you know, we can just now stop paying attention to you because you're going to show up. <laughs> Not anymore. Well, you 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 brought up something I think is is almost revolutionary, and that is when when we work with people, we talk about you've got two clients, right? You've got two kinds of customers. You've got external customers, you've got internal customers. And I, I don't I don't think you can make an argument at least the way I say it. And I can always be turned, right? But it's hard to make an argument that against the fact that your internal customers are your most important customers. Well, yeah, if I'm with you. And if we say that people are our greatest asset, who are we talking about? I hope we're talking about our employees, the people that we have, we have recruited and we've trained and we've hired and we're investing in. So if we want them to stay, we should show them that we care about them, that we value them, that we are paying attention to what they want. And, you know, it's I hear kind of more old school leaders, they would be hearing what we're talking about and saying, oh, come on, this is just an entitled mentality. It's like, oh, yeah, they want everything. They want to raise after two weeks. They think they should be the boss. I really I think that's an oversimplification. And I honestly don't meet a lot of great employees that actually have that attitude. Dr. Nate Regeer, uh, keynote speaker, author and innovator. 
founder of Next Element, located in, in Newton, Kansas. You feel a close connection to this strategy called compassionate ac accountability. You feel so passionate about it. You wrote a book entitled Compassionate Accountability. You reinforce how leaders build connection and acquire results. Talk about the importance of compassionate accountability and leadership. Mm. Thank you. It is my passion. It's been our life's work at Next Element. Our whole journey has been has been moving in this direction. Um, here's what we've noticed. And, you know, Jay, you've been doing this for a while. You have a lot of experience. I'm going to I'm really curious if you've seen this dynamic when it comes to leadership. Compassion without accountability gets you nowhere. You can't nicey nice your way to excellence. And the opposite is also true, is that accountability without compassion will get you alienated. Nobody wants to work for you. So what we've discovered is it seems to be human nature to under pressure, under stress, when push comes to shove, we feel like we have to choose one or the other. You can call it whatever you want, relationships or results, uh, process over content, whatever you want to call it, people over performance, whatever it is, we feel like we have to choose. And as soon as we believe that myth, we're already, we're already losing because when you choose one over the other, you lose both, lose integrity, lose impact, lose effectiveness. And so what we've kind of been scratching our heads about, so what does this mean? And I think what it means is that we have misunderstood what compassion really is and we've misunderstood what accountability is and that these two are are integral to each other they need each other they have to be thought of in unison as a duet instead of somehow as in opposition to each other total yin to my yang right yeah. i mean you talk about you talk about balance and and it, it it's almost like parenting right i mean um I, I've read a lot about parent. We're we're all parents. Uh, producer Dave Gregory, um, also a parent of, of two beautiful girls, and kids. At the end of the day, sometimes when they act out, that what what they're really saying is, you know, I do need some controls. I, I you know my brain isn't mature enough to do it on my own. I need help, right? I need I I need that accountability partner, um, and. And it, it's it's kind of also in what's my def, definition of leadership, and that is, I feel like those of us leaders were empowered to create an environment that is safe, positive, and productive so that others can utilize their gifts and talents to then meet goals and objectives. But the most important part of that is creating that safe positive and productive environment and that's not and that's not saying you you're not accountable it's not saying that you can't be compassionate it's it's stating that there's this this arena that it's up to us to build so that we can have this community of people that together collaborate and you know in a passionate way uh, in an authentic way we go to meet those those goals and obje objectives. What what are your thoughts about that? I, I like it. I really agree with what you're saying. And we we talk about how culture is the sum of every interaction. And so the interactions need to reinforce what kind of a culture we want. And when we uh, we have a model called the compassion cycle, and we look at three core competencies for compassionate accountability cultures. 
And there's three conditions. And I, I think you're, we might be saying the same thing. We identify safety has to be one. People need to feel safe to bring their full selves. Curiosity needs to be one. How can we learn and grow and explore and fail forward without curiosity? And then the third one is consistency, which you talked about. There has to be some sense of structure, predictability, that we're walking the talk. And if safety, curiosity, and consistency are all present in equal measure, we get, we can flourish, we can thrive. Um, and it gets a little harder. You know, safety is a is is feels softer. And consistency is a little bit harder, but that's how I compassion and accountability need to go together. Oh, I love that. Love that insight. All right. So, Doctor, we're at the point of the podcast where we get to know Dr. Nate Regeer. All right. I'm going to ask you a question or ask, or ask you to pick between two things. There's no points awarded. You get no prizes. You get nothing. All right. Are you ready? All right. So I'm just going to be me, right? You're just going to be you. All right. So okay. I, I know you are a barbecue aficionado. All right. Mm. Baby back ribs or spare ribs? Spare ribs. Brisket? You want to know why? They, yeah. Tell okay, me why. No, no, yeah, no. I'd love to know why. Spare ribs because I turn spare ribs into baby backs and then I have all that extra that I usually jerk, Jamaican jerk all the leftovers and it's unbelievable. So that's, that's why I picked that. All right. Brisket or pulled pork? Oh, my goodness. Brisket. Um, I like pulled pork a lot, but brisket takes a lot more skill to do well. All right. So myself and, oh. and our producer, Dave Gregory, we're, we're big venison guys. All right. Yeah. So your favorite venison meat? Man, I'm not an expert. I I don't know that I could answer that with intelligence because I've enjoyed all the venison that I've had. Okay, no. Um, I have my buddy, my best friend, um, he makes the best venison sausage and like a, mm. like a, a cold summer sausage. I love it. I'll take that. All right. Charcoal grilling or smoking? Well, I smoke with hard lump charcoal, so um, but I love them both. I don't know if I could pick. Um, I'll take I'll take smoking. Okay. Best yeah. barbecue competition moment. I know you're a competitive barbecue yeah. guy. All right. Your um, your favorite moment. My favorite moment was about year four that we competed at the Lenexa Kansas State Championship. Our team, which was called Three Men and a Butt, and I think we got. <laughs> We may say that with such a straight three, face. <laughs> three men and a butt. You can just figure out who is the butt. Um, but we we placed in the top 10 in two categories, and it was really, really rewarding because the teams were unbelievable. Mad respect for who competes at that. And we've been working really hard at it. That was a pretty special moment. All right. I, I also know you like to uh, work in your shop. You do woodworking. So what's your favorite word, uh, woodworking project? You know, I'm, I'm not into the super fine woodworking, like super fine craftsmanship furniture or turning pens. I, I do more of the big stuff, like build a bunk bed for my daughter or turn my daughter's mm -hmm. room into a tiki hut, you know, um, or build a deck. Uh, so I like doing those kinds of larger kind of outdoor projects. All right. What's your favorite woodworking tool? Mm. A hand plane. Okay. 
it's really a special I, tool and your relationship with the wood is incredible. Yeah. So yeah. I know um, you're a big tennis fan. All right. John McEnroe or Jimmy Connors? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to pick Johnny Mac because he was a lefty and I'm a lefty and I, I, I played some of my best tennis well, so was with the Jimmy. same racket. So I know was he was too. He was no, and, and I had a little bit of a temper in high school, so I probably <laughs> would pick Johnny Mac. He had a, he was gifted. Oh my well, gosh. Isn't that ironic because we, and, 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 and I'm with you. I, when I think of John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, I think of John as that, uh, hey, I, I'm going to watch because I know he's going to explode at any time. But you know what? Jimmy Connors had a temper, too. But when the two played, it, 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 you know, you think about John. It's interesting. We both we both think that way. All right. Yeah. Andre Agassi or Pete Sampras? Pete. I think Pete is one of the most amazing players ever to play the game. I also love Agassi. I've read his book, but no, I pick Pete. All right. Who's your favorite Williams sister? Mm. Venus. Okay. Um, she a lot of respect for her. They're both amazing. I take yeah, Venus. They are. Wimbledon or the US Open? Wimbledon. One of a kind, and I've been there. Well, I've been to both, but Wimbledon was was is pretty amazing. All right. Well, I'm gonna wave my magic magic wand. You you're going back and you're gonna play in doubles. Who is your partner? My partner is going to be Byron Black. Him and his brother Wayne are one of the winningest doubles teams in in Wimbledon history. And I played against him when I was in Botswana playing on the Junior Davis Cup team for Botswana. And he played Junior Davis Cup for Zimbabwe. And he was unbelievable. I would take him any day. Hmm. There you have it. Dr. Nate Regeer, getting to to know Dr. Regeer better. Uh, Our guest is Dr. Nate Regeer, founder of Next Element, located in Newton, Kansas. So back to the ranch, all right? You you get no prizes, no points, you get nothing, but but I think we had a good time doing that and we got to know you a little bit better. So every conversation I have on what leaders want includes the topic, what is my most impactful leadership moment or leadership period of time so Mm. think about what is yours and tell us about that um an early one for me when at my previous place of employment before starting next element i was increasingly dissatisfied agitated almost miserable and yet I was I was kind of at the top of my game in that particular place. And I spent a lot of energy thinking it was everything else besides me. What happened to me? What somebody did? Why didn't they tell me? It's not fair. I'm not getting any credit. And when I became ready to leave and start Next Element, I had a really important mentor that said to me, you need to decide if you're running away or running towards. And if you want to be successful, remember that wherever you go, there you are. And what do you need to do to be able to run towards this new opportunity instead of away from something that you think 
is everyone else's fault. And that was really critical for me because I had to let go of all the things I couldn't control. I had to grieve the loss of all the things that never happened that I thought should happen. I had to really move past all the things I didn't understand. In, and I, I committed to myself. I said, I'm not going to go to the next thing until I can let go of everything here. Otherwise, I'm not going to be doing it for the right reasons. And I think that was really important as a leader for me, I was realizing that um, I have to get right inside or else I'm not going to be able to lead people. Wow. What a perspective. What a unique perspective. That's that's uh, that's some serious looking inside and being vulnerable with yourself. Right. And that's yeah. not easy for us to do. So one well, of my a, most. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that's one of the biggest new leadership paradigm flips is we're going to have to be vulnerable to be able to lead now. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Those of us who are coaches and and who are coaching, because, you know, we we, we have the conversation all the time um, in some of our leadership assessment tools about just just being vulnerable. Right. Because we, we you can't be helped to to go to that next level of leadership until you have that vulnerability and have, you know, be able to have that open mindedness to to look internally mm-hmm. um, to mm-hmm. see where you are. And where you want to be, it's almost like a GPS. Where am I at now? Where do I want to be? And there, there's several paths to get there, right? Yeah. So that yeah. uh, I, I could talk for hours about that. So one of my most passionate topics of leadership is, is conflict resolution. Those organizations who do it well, they're the ones who succeed. You're a big believer in conflict as a catalyst for positive outcomes. Tell us more mm. about how it works and what it might look like. Mm. Yeah, thanks for asking that. I do. I believe that conflict might be one of the most plentiful and untapped sources of energy in the universe or in our in our universe, in our planet. Here's why. Diversity. I believe deeply that diversity is part of the grand design of the universe. We are fearfully and wonderfully made different for a reason. However, because of that, we're going to have conflict because we're going to have differences of, of views, differences of opinions, differences of perspectives, skills, and gifts. So there's going to be conflict. So if we're created differently for a purpose, then conflict must also have a purpose. And I've really come to believe that the purpose of conflict is to create because that's what we're here for is to continue to create. But where, is, where does the grist for the mill come from? Well, it comes from conflict. That's where create that is the source of creation. So we've really dedicated a lot of our work in Next Element for how do we take the energy of conflict that comes from diversity and steward and use and mold that conflict into greater intimacy, greater innovation, greater trust, um, greater connection. What an interesting perspective, because as you were speaking um you know i'm a man of faith and you are a producer dave gregory is as well and um we learned about conflict resolution early on in the adam and eve um garden right don't eat from the, the tree of knowledge right yeah. we, we we were um presented with uh, conflict immediately so you'd think we would be comfortable with it 
right? And so your words, your yeah. your your themes around that really really resonate with me, and I know it's going to resonate with our audience as well. So thank you for those those oh. thoughts. So you have great insight on culture. We've talked a little bit about it. What good culture means to an organization. So talk about a little bit more in depth about why you believe culture is the sum of every interaction and how that mindset benefits the kind of growth that you want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of my favorite definition of culture comes from a marketing guru. And I would say general ruckus maker, Seth Godin, anybody that doesn't subscribe to his blog, definitely. Oh, do I it. love him. Yeah. <laughs> he says, he says culture is how people like us do things around here. And, you know, it seems so basic and so just, you know, but but think about that, how people like us do things around here. What that means is look around because every time we interact with each other, we are defining what it means to be here and why we're here and how we're going to do things. So these interactions, um, one of my... Uh, Another good friend of mine, Doug Conant, or, or who was on my podcast, he helped turn around Campbell's Soup. He says the action is in the interaction. Every single interaction is 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 defining who we are, how we're going to be with each other, what we believe in, how we're going to deal with conflict. So we do a lot of focus in our work on the quality and the nature of how we communicate with each other, and we don't leave it up to chance. We we are intentional and we are mindful about how it is that we communicate with each other and who we are when we're doing it because i think that are those are the building blocks that create the culture that then create the brand so if nate regeer were to sit down today and have a discussion with nate regeer in his 20s what advice would you give him shut up and listen <laughs> Um, don't get too attached to your own ideas um, and listen more. Wow. Succinctly said, um, listening, boy, you talk about a leadership trait, an attribute. Um, that is that is truly one of them. Dr. Regeer, mm -hmm. thanks so much for your time today and, and sharing your thoughts about leadership. It was truly an honor to have you on our, our podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. You're, I love your questions. Really appreciate uh, taking us there. And um, I can tell we have a lot in common. And I'm really, I'm really proud to be part of a community of folks like you that are trying to elevate what leadership means. Well, thank you so much for that. Well, friends, that's a wrap. We'll put a bow on this episode of What Leaders Want. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders of people. Until we meet again, remember if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you, my friends, are a leader. Bye now.